Well, um, you know, look, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, one of the most recent protests is actually one that happened in Illinois, and it's in the city Urbana. Some people here are mad at the city's park district for killing dozens of geese, and I just gotta Rightly say... Rightly so. Rightly so! Yeah! What the fuck, Crystal Lake Park? This is ridiculous. Killing... I don't know if there's an exact number here in this article, but... Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Harvesting? Harvesting. Harvesting? fifty geese yesterday morning. Let me, let me tell you about this. This is fucking ridiculous. So here we go. Where, where's that? And so, usually harvesting implies some form of, like, eating. Who's going to eat a Canada goose from a park in Urbana? Dude, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I... You know, I've never been to Urbana per se, but I have been to Illinois. We both know geese from Illinois. And I gotta say, they're not the most mm, shining beacon of geese health there in Illinois. And the thing that kills me the most is that the district voted in May to do what they call a charity harvest of these geese. Now, in case you're wondering, that does mean they go out and round up 175 geese, kill them, without finding humane way to do this, and then just donated that to the food pantry. Again, who the fuck is going to want to eat park geese from Illinois? Do you think they told the people who they sent the geese to? Like, oh yeah, we got that from Crystal Lake last week. Dropped a shit in front of a biker, so he decided to... Yeah, and all I'm saying, that brings up a good point. Which geese were the ones they cold? here was it the troublemakers was it the ones that were you know more stand-up geese who exactly are they harvesting um and you know what susan susan parenti right here she's right the park district in her opinion they really botched the handling of these geese they didn't even pull up for a vote to the entire city you know geese aren't necessarily the easy the the most easily domesticated animal out there but i'm sure at least three people would have wanted some geese pets Oh, no doubt, and surely you could clip their wings. And, I mean, these district leaders couldn't even come up with any other option. They said they tried to chase them away with dogs, oiled their eggs, and used lasers. That honestly just sounds like a goose party to me. I don't know how many of you all have partied with geese, but there usually is some oiling of the eggs, if you know what I mean. There's usually some lasers, and, yeah, when the dogs come, it gets to be a real good time. No, it does. And going further, the way that they're trying to excuse this horrible behavior is by saying that by having large numbers of geese, it was making their experience, you know, lost of turf, areas being eaten by these geese, and they're having soil erosion, the water quality at the lake, the water quality. Let me tell you something about water quality, little Mr. Man. Before humans showed up on Earth and it was all geese, it was all geese everywhere you could see. Big old dinosaur geese. Mm-hmm. Water quality was fucking amazing. This has nothing to do with these geese. Mm. I did talk with Al Gore about that the other day. You are now listening to the Unruly Geese Podcast. Welcome to the pond.
So the Dodgers beat the Tampa Bay Rays, not the Houston Astros, um, in the Game 1 of the World Series yesterday. Um, did you watch it, Grant? I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I don't really have to be because you were there for this moment about half an hour ago. Um, when I learned the World Series is actively on at this moment, I didn't even know that we had two teams decided yet, let alone that Game 2 is literally airing at this very moment. So That it is. It's a 1-0 raise ball game. Uh, I hope the Dodgers win, but... <laughs> I do too. I, like, I, I don't have a huge horse in the race, but... The OKC Dodgers endeared me to the LA Dodgers, and I like Mookie. I like Clayton. If only I like baseball. Yeah. Yeah, which baseball has done, I think, intentionally some things to make it nearly unwatchable in the past. Um, like, have you seen the stuff they're so doing bad. now where each pitcher has to pitch to three batters before you can take them out of the game? And you only get five mound visits to begin with. What? Unless you I didn't pull know the that. Guy. Yeah, if, if you don't pull your pitcher, you get five total mound visits. Oh, my God. That's, so, for me, it's taken out the baseball ball. strategy of it, of I want my pitcher and catcher saying, like, all right, we got Aaron Judge up to the plate, just a 3-2 count. If he goes yard, they're going to the World Series. If he doesn't, we're going to the World Series. I, I want my people to be able to talk about that and make a smart decision and reference the reference what we have studied on Aaron Judge and make the right call. I don't want limited mound visits. Yeah, no, that's that's dumb as hell. That, um... Damn, I didn't know that they were limited mound visits. I obviously knew about the three pitch or the, the three batters per pitcher rule before you can pull them, however you want to phrase it. I dislike that almost as much as I dislike the game clock that they put on the game nowadays, though, or that yeah. they're trying to implement. Like, to me, like you're saying, taking away the strategy in baseball is not what's wrong with it. The game, when it there's a difference between it being a a game that's moving slow pace-wise and it being a slow game. And differentiating between the two of those mm-hmm. isn't just indiscriminately throwing a game clock on every game and saying any game below this is where we want to be, any game over this isn't where we want to No, and it forces players into situations in those games that they don't need to be in. To me, you got to draw these games out again. It's a. I mean, let's be honest. It's a leisure sport. It was created less as a competitive um, outlet and more as a viewer viewers mm-hmm. event and as a. I'm 45. I'm 50 pounds overweight. Let me go stand in the outfield, catch a pop fly, and say that I played sports today. You know. And yeah. Exactly. And I. I don't think anyone going to these baseball games was like, damn it, this was a a three-and-a-half-hour game. If people think that, they'll just leave in the seventh. The team's all the wiser for it because they got seven innings worth of beer. But Exactly. No, yeah, like my family, we would always leave when I was real little and they wanted to beat traffic, we would always leave in the seventh inning. Regardless of how long the game is, that's still going to be the case because everyone's still going to be leaving at the end of the game. You know, I think... 
something closer to a chess clock where accumulated time has to equal out over the course of the game or mm, when there's a certain idea. amount of time that each team has to deliberate on things whether you know rather than five mound visits you have an hour's worth of mound visit time or half an hour worth of mound visit time to use over the course of the game to get a feel for the strategy because then it becomes a lot more tactical and not just like, well, I know I'm going to need to visit the mound three times to check in on my main pitcher and I'm going to be out there twice swapping pitchers at least. And so right there, there's five already. And so it's like, if I have time to work with, it's like, well, let me spend 30 seconds checking in with them. I still have 29 minutes and 30 seconds, just something to bring the strategy to the forefront of this game. I feel like is what's going to make the difference yeah, I, I agree. That's that's a change that would make it more strategic and would add another level on to the thinking that people that like baseball do already, um, as opposed to some stupid strategies like letting the Astros bang a trash can and tell their batters whether it's a ball or a strike or not, which I, I get it that... When we were investigating the Astros cheating scandal, they told all the players, hey, if you come forward, we'll give you immunity, like, to get them to talk. But, like, was Rob Manfred thinking when he made that decision? Just go back on that. Just be like, oh, I know we said this, but joke's on y'all. You cheated for, like, three years straight and got away with it and then reaped some crazy rewards from it that other teams... You know, that, that team has some good players on it, but other teams had a legitimate chance shot um, destiny, if you want to call it that, to beat them that they weren't able to fairly fulfill. And it's absolute bullshit that they're able to just get automatic immunity because they spoke up about what they're... As if they weren't a part of it to be... Uh, fuck that. And I'm going to put you on the spot here, but I certainly don't remember a time in my 25 years living where a team... One, cheated on this large a level, and two, was not disciplined on this soft of a level that the Astros were disciplined. I mean, obviously you have the White Sox blowing the World Series, or throwing the World Series, you have Pete Rose, but there's nothing in football or basketball I can think of. This is by far the most prominent scandal in sports of this century, and all that happened for it was a manager and GM got fired. Yeah, it's ridiculous that we spent I'm not I'm not going to get up here and start defending the Patriots or Tom Brady or Bill Belichick by any means, but it's ridiculous that we spent the better part of 2 years following every little breadcrumb that they could give us about deflate gate, but this gets lost over in 6 months and granted I know there's a pandemic season and this is kind of a fake season anyway, they're getting their reckoning next year most likely, but it's still absolute bullshit that Manfred refuses to vacate those titles and just have because you have to have a champion every year it's like well what happens when that champion fucking cheated to get there so yeah and i think at the end of the day the problems with baseball do center around manfred he came into the commissioner role and said he wanted to change the game of baseball for the better and really he's only made two changes two major changes over these 10 years he's been the commissioner and Baseball Can you remind me what those two watchable. major changes were? I seem to have forgotten. Oh, wait. It's the two topics that we've talked about already. Literally the two things that are worth shitting on about the league are the only two changes that he's brought to the table. The, the pitch clock and the mound visits? 
Exactly. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, literally the two things that we've been shitting on are his two claims to fame, other than the other thing we've been shitting on, which is giving the Astros a pass. You know so, what, Grant? Fucking ridiculous. I, I think we could do this. I think you're absolutely right, Luke. So, let's talk about that, because... What, what, what would you do? What would make you watch baseball, Grant? Well, here we go. First up, I want... They've dabbled here and there, but I want every single player that's on the field to have an active mic on their jersey. Oh, that was really... The, I was watching... You know, the, the three innings of baseball I've watched this year were some Dodgers playoff game, and they had Justin Turner on the mic. And it was really cool because he would be like, oh, we're about to do this because this dude's up to bat and then would kind of like talk shit on him like on the TV and you could hear that. I think it would be really cool if the rest of the field could also hear that shit talking. That's what I'm saying. So imagine you said it was Justin Tuck. I don't even know. I'm not going to Justin and, Turner, yeah. Plays I'm for not going to try no baseball names. But yeah, so Justin Turner. Call him Tommen from, or Torman, the redhead from Game of Thrones. He looks exactly like that guy. Gotcha. Well, let's say we've got Tormund out there in the field, and he's got his hot mic on. He's talking to the commentators about whatever shit he's talking about. Everyone else that's on the field has an earpiece and a mic on. They're listening to that feed, including the batter that he's talking shit on, who can then hop into that feed and talk shit back, who can also talk shit directly to him after he hits a home run. The guy that's talking shit can catch the pot fly and then come back and talk shit. It's just... It'd get messy, but I want it. I want the mess. I want the messy. I want the drama. Give me something I, real. I do as well. It's something the NBA does really well. Um, this league, you, stuff like that. Uh, I think MLB should lean into it because you have major beef in the in the MLB. Look at the Yankees and Red Sox. Look at Rugnetto Dor last time he played with Jose Batista. You have oh. this beef. You just got to foster it. Exactly, exactly. And you know, I'm glad you brought up the Rugi and Bautista drama because if I remember that ended, if I remember correctly, that altercation, that beef ended in on-field fisticuffs. It did, it did. Bautista got knocked the fuck out. And that's the next thing that I want to see more of. I want to see these fights, I want to see this beef on field. You know, people have the Twitter fingers. I'm sure in baseball I don't follow it well enough to know that. But I follow it well enough to know that there's not nearly enough fighting in the infield. I want to see people get knocked out. Mm. I want to see rules implemented to these fights. So, for example, let's say you're a pitcher. You're throwing a ball. I get hit by it. I don't like that. So I charge the mound. If I land a head punch, I get first base. Well, I get second base because I guess the hit would give me first base. No, yeah, but some hit. some sort of if you get punched or if you land a punch, you get rewarded for that. No, ready? Here it is. If you take the bean, you you walk. You take the walk. You go to first base. It's fine. If you charge the mound, you forfeit your single, and you're now fighting for your single. Ooh, I like this. Or I like now, it. Let's let's. Let's make it a double to give him some incentive, because otherwise everyone would just take the base. And yeah, you got a double, and if it's a draw, you get one more pitch, full count. Yeah, then we just run it back. Yeah. No problem. Oh, can you yeah, imagine? Yeah, you could really turn the infield into a bloodbath here. Dude. 
This rolls into the next point, but I want the infield to have a little stone wall around it. Not tall enough. With a little gap at the bottom so balls can get through. That's true. That's true. But basically tall enough so that people can't just like step over it. I want everyone in the infield wearing shoulder pads. They don't have to have masks or helmets because we don't want them leading with the head. But basically then it becomes a game of rugby in the infield once that ball is in play. As long as the ball, exactly, as long as the ball has touched the ground. Well, you know, not even that. Let's say I hit the ball, it's a ground roll. I don't even know what the fuck you call these things anymore. Yeah, to second base. I get around first base. I'm coming around the corner. I got my pads on. I'm fucking trucking. You're standing there at second base with the ball. You don't got to get out of my way. And as even if you touch me with the ball, as long as I'm standing on second base and, you know, not like grabbing it with my hand on the ground or sliding, you got to stay on your feet for this. But if I can truck through you and get to the base, that's safe. And, and then, then I think in the fights. wall... Ooh. Yeah, and then it, it, it if you want to come out and be like, nah, man, I got you out, and it's like, fucking do something about it. Yeah. Ugh. And I think in the wall, you can add, like, little holes so that outfielders can come in with those, like, uh, boxing gloves <laughs> on a stick and ram Just, people. Oh, I like that a lot. See, but let's, you got it. we'll have, like, four of those loaded up, and each team only gets four per game. And oh. so once, and then oh, the, so the wall, the wall like, but, drops from the ceiling. Well, not even that. I'm just saying, like, let's say these things are loaded up, spring-loaded into the holes. All the guys got to come oh, up yeah, and just, yeah, like, yeah. push them. But you can't, like, load them back in at that point. Like, that's your – you get four yeah. of those each game, and that's your contribution. And this also brings up one of my favorite things about baseball, of how each stadium is inherently different. This means you can make different walls, too. Mm, that's so true. You can have the little green monster. Right, right. Wow. Now, you know, speaking of green monsters, though, we didn't we didn't really prep for this, but it brings up a good point. What do we do with the mascots? Because we can't have so them be family blooper. friendly. Blooper from the Atlanta Braves has been uh-huh. great all COVID. Um, one of my favorite mascot follows on Twitter. He stands in the batter's box. Or on top of the dugout and, like, uh-huh. distracts the batter while he's batting. So he'll be in, like, Mandalorian outfit and, like, doing shit to annoy the batter. I think we got to go with that but have it, like, drop over the pitcher. You know, like, have him come in from the ceiling on, like, a little platform. I don't know what well, you do so in basically, there. But, so yeah, what I you're saying is, like, has got to get involved. Well, I feel like we got to give them a much more active – how many – I'm trying to – so you have a catcher, pitcher, your four. You got nine on the field, yeah. You got nine on the field. So mascot's your 10th man. He doesn't get a glove. He can't do anything. If he picks up the ball, it's still a live ball. Like if he catches it as a pot fly in the outfield, the runner can still run it. So he's not there to affect the gameplay, but he is there to annoy the shit out of you. And he can get in fights too. Oh, yeah. I like that idea. I like that idea. And then the mascots fight other mascots. Oh, oh, I wish there was like a jump balls or something. Is there something like that in baseball where it's like would usually be a coin flip or just like a possession arrow that we could make a mascot fight to determine the winner? No, I think that's one of the things of baseball. It's so methodic and 
it's the home team bats last. Um, maybe like once a series, or if you have a four-game series, that fourth game, home field advantage is decided by the mascot fight. Oh, I was going to – ready for this? It's playoffs. Every series in the playoffs is not decided by your home – it's not decided by your regular season record. It's instead decided by a – fight between your mascots the night before the first game the winner of that fight team gets yeah televised obviously gets home field advantage we'll have like full ufc style cards at the beginning of playoffs that come down to the super bowl of mascot fights at the end of the year you got the texas rangers mascot going against the cleveland indians mascot because Oof. they're oh. both terrible. That's problematic, but... <laughs> but, no, I, I like this idea of adding a, a level of theatrics to baseball. I think we could even take that up a step and just go, like, full-on WWE with it. So, like, every player, that. like, they already have their walk-up songs, but give them, like, full walk-up routines. Like, for your your main player, like... You have stuff like drop down, um, oh, and you know lights. One of those ladders. They yeah. can even slide in from like the top, parachute in from the top of the scoreboard. Yeah. Have different outfits for batting. I mean, you don't need to be in your team uniform when you're the only one out there. Right, and pick it. Pick, having the most recognition you get being a song played that you pick nah. is so 2010. We're we're past that. We're uh, with the, the augmented reality like, and stuff we have, mm, dude. We can, can you ma- so. Oh, okay, yeah. So imagine being so. Let's say we're on the Rangers and we're playing at Dodger Stadium. I'm walking up, and I'm batting. We're away. Instead of my walkout music, I just hear, like every time. I'm trying to think. Every time the local Texas like radio host has talked shit on me, or every time I've tried talking shit on the Dodgers, just think of all the fun you could have with that too. Because once you go WWE, there's no more like, oh, we gotta hang in there for sportsmanship. We gotta show them respect. We're getting we're getting heels. We're getting beef between players and players. We're getting beef between players and umps. I would want players to see like fans, players and fans. Yeah, we would see fans rush the field because people are hitting home runs just to try and beat the shit out of them. And guess what? Because in our new league, we let fights roll. That's just part of the show, baby. Which is I'm... actually before we keep going here, because I feel like we're about to dive off the deep end with some of the stuff that we've got uh, loaded up here. But let's just run through how much more fun baseball would be with the changes we made. All stack because WWE style branding in a vacuum is a little wild. But when you go, well, they're able to fight in the infield. The infield's a fucking gladiator pit where only the strongest survive. And everyone's mic'd up if they're on the field. And then you're telling me that WWE style branding for this, that storylines and characters. Imagine Stone Cold Steve Austin, like, uh, with one of the rules we'll get to here in a second, let's say the pitcher throws a beer at him, but he fucking crushes it. That's a home run. That's yeah. not in our rules, but I'm going to call it. That's a home run. And imagine like Yankee Stadium. They have an outfield section completely look like the Supreme Court. And then out of the top of it, Aaron Judge oh, comes out. Oh, I'm in. in robes. In a wig. In, in, oh, yeah. And in a wig. And in the wig. <laughs> 
instead of a baseball steps bat, up he just has the, a giant gavel. Oh yeah, steps up into the batter box. He's not not going yard every time. So no, yeah, my so here we go. This is my Aaron Judge walk up routine. If I'm Aaron, it's I don't know judging Amy theme song, some judge song. I shot the sheriff maybe. Anyway, like you're saying, we come rising up. I come out there with a sledgehammer sized gavel. Come up to the plate and just boom, boom, courts in session, motherfucker. And then I pull the bat out from under my robe and step up to fucking smack that shit. Oh my if god! You're, if you're playing like the Red Sox, you turn around and hit the catcher with the um, your gavel. Right? It's like yeah. And then the people he hates on the way out there. Let's say that ump hates him, and he's just like, "I'm fucking watching you, man. Better call these strikes." First ball he gets, he just turns around and <laughs> hits the shit out of that umpire. This is a baseball I can get behind. Yeah. Especially if we, like, let players do steroids, too. Like, give us the best best athletes science can build us and make sure that if Aaron Judge hits a ball, it's definitely going yard. Then you get runs scored. Mm. I want alien contact from the balls that are being fucking ripped up out of the atmosphere by these monsters. And, you know, why stop there? Why regulate only some of the drugs... When we can regulate all of the drugs. I'm talking marijuana, obviously. But let's see some LSD. I want to see players tripping out on the field. Like, we've got this fucking, in our sport, we've got this bloodbath gladiator pit infield. But then in the outfield, there's fucking Rugi and who's another really dated baseball player? Nelly Elvis Cruz. Andrews. Yeah, there yeah. we go. Elvis Andrews, who are, they're out in the outfield. And the three of them are just like, yeah, we all dropped acid taps before the game today, so the ground is kind of moving around, and there's three pretty big alien spaceships flying around right now. Yeah. But, you know, we're just kind of chilling. So you have to have one starter on LSD, oh one, one starting player do a line of coke before every half inning, Jesus, and then bad. your catcher has to be high the entire game. What if... I'm interested, but also, what if we just had entire teams like the White Sox... They just all become cokeheads. That becomes their shtick, is they all do coke. We have we, this just basically becomes a petri oh, no, dish. I was of like, just saying, how can drugs minimum. affect sports? Oh, I know what you're saying, but let's take it a step further. The Rangers, everyone on that team has eaten peyote before a game. <laughs> Fucking the Rays, everyone is I don't know some doing some weird stingray yeah, snort. I, some yeah. some bullshit from Florida. Miami's just doing straight like Colombian bam bam, which I think is just coke. Yeah, yeah. Whatever that, the that's... the gunpowder and coke mix is, that's what Miami's doing. Oh, I, yeah, all for it, all for but that. Basically, you might even have point, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Think about like the early two thousands Miami Hurricanes teams of that. But yeah. anyway, oh, anything else you would add? Anything else you would change? Well, so we got the mics, the fights, the branding. The drugs, which is a key point, but also let's not forget how bonkers insane our league was before we added regulated drugs to it. Um, you know, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but I think the last thing that is just kind of a a wild card rule to add here, that's going to be pitchers get one pitch every inning where they can throw something that's not a baseball. And that can Ooh, be anything that's... Um, well, originally we were talking about giving pitchers throwing stars, but that seems 
violent. You know, pretty limited in scope. I want to see cantaloupes. I want to see, like I said, imagine if it's some sort of like coordinated. If the pitcher on one team is really close friends with someone on a batter on another team, and they put together a Stone Cold Steve Austin walkout, where instead of a fucking baseball, it's just a shooken up, shaken up beer that he throws. See, there's this just plays into theatrics, and there's some incentive here. So let me give you this. Basically, if it's something that's a ball that's round, that's shaped like it can be played, put back into play, and you hit it, and it goes back into play at least two-thirds intact, so 66% of it is still intact, then that's a that's a ball that's in play. That's what you're using as the <clears throat> fucking ball in that out. So, for example, a cantaloupe is something that I think could take the hit and still be pretty intact to roll back out. You know, it could be a softball, a different type of ball, um, even like a fucking medicine ball if you're able to hit that. But let's let's roll with that cantaloupe example for a second because let's say it is Aaron Judge here and he's rolling out I I doubt that Cantaloupe is making it back out into play in one piece so oh no no chance no not at all so basically if he what do we say if he if it's something that'll break and he breaks it on the bat if he obliterates it if he destroys it that is do we say that's a double single yeah yeah I think that makes sense ground rule double yeah. Like, if you hit the ball out of play, or but it was in play. And if it's something that's intact, and it, you know, if it's a foul, then it's a foul. If it dinks off the bat, if you miss it, that's still a strike. If it's still wide and you swing at it, that's still a ball. Um, the only thing, and then the thing is, if it's like a knife, a throwing star, something pointy that could really dig into the bat, if it gets lodged into the bat, that's also going to be a double for you. Now, the really cool part is this is also going to replace one of those... Um, nightly fan giveaways and that usually you see some kind of oh well you got to draw the right ticket number and you're gonna get a whole bunch of money or a whole bunch of food from the team for a year or for life in this way there's we've taken down the nets obviously safety is not one of our prime concerns so we've taken down the nets oh, no. um and if they get hit with if fans get hit with baseballs, that's just kind of a side effect of going to a baseball game. Sorry about you. But if they get like stuck in the shoulder with a throwing star or hit in the face with a glass bottle or just like shards of glass from a player obliterating a bottle, just like psh, shower their face and cuts. <laughs> it's gonna be like a cool little um, giveaway because that lucky fan is gonna win a very nice settlement from whatever team has been responsible for this infraction so oh that's really, a good it's, point it's if got a lot of excitement if you're playing in boston but you're the yankees and you oh. check a throwing star and it hits marlins man in the front row do the yankees have to pay that or do the red sox have to pay it since it's a red sox stadium hmm, i'd guess i'd say the pitching team and that's just kind of like a gentleman's rule of like, yeah, this may have happened in the Red Sox stadium, but it was a guy in a Yankees uniform who took out my eye with that butter knife. So, so the Yankees, yeah. Because that would be kind of fun if the Red Sox had to pay for it, and then you just get every inning another Red Sox fan like taken just, out. Oh. See, because then we could have beef between ownership and players, and don't even get me – 
We were talking shit on Manfred at the beginning, but imagine how much more fun Manfred would be as a Vince McMahon-style heel for the entire league to hate. If he just steered into the skid a little bit, played it up, and he was like, you know what, people hate me already. Let me go out there Let's and fight go. some players on the field. Yeah, like... <laughs> no one better sneeze around me. We're, like, just... Uh, Imagine the amazing reveals we get in the WWE where people take off masks and it's that same wrestler under the mask for the wrestler they were wearing. But instead, oh, yeah. it's like, this ump is just so... Let me let me pick out a few players here that I know. Is Rugi still on the Rangers? I think so. Okay, let's say he is. So it's Rugi at bat and it is fucking... Um, Oh, let's see. Joe West, the dude that robbed the dude of the perfect game. The ump what? that called a ball a ball when it was a strike. Oh. You you don't know where I'm going with this. Hang on, hang on, hang on. So let's say it's Rugi at bat and we're playing the fucking Marlins. And this the entire time, every time Rugi goes up to bat, he gets to the end of the game, he's like 0 for 8. He hasn't made a single hit, though he and he hasn't even it's also like 0 for 14. He hasn't gotten a single ball. It's all strikes. We get to the end of the game, and finally he just rears off. He's like, yo, ump, what the fuck? And Riley says, what the fuck? The ump stands up, tastes off the mask, and then his Bautista just, what the fuck? No. And then, boom, go time, right? Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then you get the whole fight over again. I am here for it. Granted, that might cause some issues you know, with the game result, but we can always make up for that. Somewhere we're writing the storylines to this league at this point, so we can. Which would be more entertaining than real baseball. That is true. See, and see, I think the way to do it would be only have like eight of the teams have written and like pretty loosely written storylines that we want them to hit because a lot of times baseball and sports do deliver their own best storylines. I'm not. I'm not going to say that that's not the case. But no, yeah. So that is um, that is the perfect. Baseball League. So 2020 has been a rough year for movie going. The box office already wasn't in great health before the year started, and COVID definitely didn't help that much. People aren't going to movies as much anyway, and now that COVID's here, it has really, we've really seen the movie industry hurt. Um, we really wanted Tenet to kickstart that return, and I know I really hoped it would, but it only seemed to mark a further delay of traditional movie going. But on the other hand, we've had movies released just specifically on Netflix or specifically on different platforms like Borat coming out in the next week or so just on Amazon Prime. So with that in mind, we want to talk about three upcoming movies we're excited for, why we're excited for them, and why you should want to watch them. So we can't put any of the trailers in here, obviously. Please do go look these up. We're excited about these. Um, but yeah, first up, we are going to talk about the movie Mank. I This was the first thing I watched this morning. I loaded Twitter after I woke up, and this was the first thing that showed up on my timeline. Literally and, sent it to me at like 7 in the morning. Which, that's even 7 Colorado time. Yeah, that's um, early as hell. But yeah, it's a 1930s Hollywood um, set movie, and it's 
reevaluating through the eyes of scathing wit and alcoholic screenwriter Herman J. Mankiewicz as he races to finish the script for the movie Citizen Kane. One interesting thing about this movie is it is going to be in black and white. I'm really excited and interested to hear about or to see how the movie going public is going to react to this being black and white, especially since it's not going to be in movie theaters. No, I agree. And I think it'll be, well, one, it's kind of interesting now that you say that just because we are, I think just over one year out from when the lighthouse released which was also fully in black and white and pretty well received but also mostly well received within like film nerd circles um and that'll be the dichotomy that i'm really interested in the response to mank personally because you know re-watching the trailer just before we started this i get mm, i just get vibes that it's going to at the end of the day come off a lot more self-inflating than it needs to or than um, Fincher intends it to, if that makes sense. Yeah, and this is a film that's directed by David Fincher. Uh, I forgot to say that. It is released only on Netflix, but without knowing a lot of the background for Citizen Mm -hmm. Kane or everything that Orson Welles had to go through to um, make that movie. It's interesting for me, like a piece of, like a piece of history. Um, I have the same level for this as I did for the um, Disaster Artist, the Mm. movie about how they made the room, um, where it's something where I didn't know a lot about the original movie or anything that went into it. But now my curiosity is peaked. No, I, I like that comparison a lot. Actually, it's not, it's not, oh, that's not something I had considered beforehand. But I think that's a a really good, I guess, just a really good example of. You know, I love the Disaster Artist. I have stayed away from room from the room for obvious reasons, but even the Disaster Artist at times, especially in relation to James Franco, I feel like became really self-idolizing and self um self-fulfilling isn't the right word that I'm looking for, but uh you kind of get what I mean when I say that. Like I'm really excited and like more trepidatiously excited just when I watched that trailer, it screamed to me pretentious film and this is for the mm-hmm. mank trailer by the way it screams to me pretentious 24 year old film student is making a black and white movie short like a black and white short film to examine the way that film has changed over the year and things like that and i just i worry it may not bring enough new ideas to the table and won't faithfully enough follow the real story of how the script got written and i think I worry, not that I think it will, but I worry it very easily could fall into this no man's land of crazy falsified and dramatized accounts of real events and then just way too um, self-involved and like over the top about like waxing poetic about what film means and what thing, you know, showing events and people to be more poetic and poignant than they were for the sake of some dramatic effect that doesn't hit the way they think it does. If that makes sense? 
Yeah, so real quick for me as a non-film student yeah. that doesn't have that background of Citizen Kane, what, what did Citizen Kane do that redefined movies at the time in the 1940s? Um, well... Or what is it? What is it famous for? The way that I like to phrase it is that it set the visual lexicon for, like most, just for Hollywood in general. And what I mean by that is, if you go back and watch, like, like the OG black and white um, silent films, or even like the turn of when they started to introduce you know, the quote-unquote talkies with people talking and moving in the classic films, they were more often shot like a stage production, as if you were watching a stage, you know, and it would cut in for close shots, but then bring you back out to the establishing shot and just like, here is our, our I guess you're the only one that can see me, but like, it would give you basically just, <clears throat> I'm rambling, but it's shot as if you're sitting in an audience watching a stage play more often than not. That's not the rule, and there's probably smarter people than me who will scoff at that and say it was different, and it was. It's kind of all over the place, but Citizen Kane was the first film to really take advantage of um, a open-ended narrative, you know, almost like a 40s version of a Tarantino in that way, like written. If you take out just the visual aspect of it, that's kind of how the script itself is structured, in my opinion. Um, kind of sets the groundwork for the more complicated, more complex way of storytelling that we get as film noir and just as film evolves over the you know decades following Citizen Kane. But beyond that, the cinematography... And specifically its use of like high and low angle shots was huge because at the time cameras that you shot movies with were, you know, the size of a small desk. And that often meant you couldn't get down on the floor with them. You couldn't move them around a ton. It got to the point where to get some of the shots he wanted, he would have to like dig into the ground and set the camera on a track within the ground to make it look like they're like have the camera on the floor and beyond that <clears throat> just to kind of wrap up this really long rambly point is just the framing of things um the way that you're watching movies now and you'll get frames within the frame itself that are then like framing things that's something that Orson Welles and that Citizen Kane specifically really um came away from I feel like being known for but I mean there's dozens of other things the way there's certain crowd scenes where rather than film a huge auditorium that you can like it's like they had a huge auditorium and then it also panned in on just one single face and you couldn't do that with the way that cameras were back then you just wouldn't have the level of quality on those wide shots that you wouldn't on the centers and so what they did was um they filmed it but the crowd itself was just a cutout like a piece of paper that had it cut out in such a way so that when they flashed a bigger piece of paper underneath it it gave the illusion of like people sitting in the crowd moving so just a lot of really <clears throat> things now that would seem probably more um you know more like common knowledge or like no duh like of course that is a thing type of things but it really set the visual and narrative lexicon for cinema moving forward and that's something i really hope on they hope that they touch on in the movie now that you say about that or 
now that you've given me that information. But one final question for you on this. Do you think this is something you'll need to see Citizen Kane before watching? Um, I think... So I think the short answer is no. I think it'll be similar to, like you said, with the disaster artist in the room, where if there's anything that you absolutely have to know about Citizen Kane to understand this, it's going to inform you, it's going to tell you in the movie... That being said, I do think there's going to be like deeper layers that Fincher bakes in for uh, cinephiles, for people who have seen Citizen Kane over and over again. And the other thing to remember here, too, is it may be a question that's not even worth asking because it could be like a, well, of course you need to see the movie to understand this. Be- simply because, you know, our generation, the people that are younger than us, even people a little bit older than us, aren't crazy familiar with it, but it's ubiquitous film watching for every generation before gen x for sure and even still most of gen x will have watched that as a kid growing up or at least once in their life and so short answer is no i don't think you'll have to but i could see it going either way so i don't expect you to have to have seen it well, Citizen Kane is on HBO now, so if you have that, watch it. It's coming out on Netflix sometime in November. Um, so this is going to be an interesting example of maybe the new norm. Or big movies like this from marquee directors like David Fincher going to be released on streaming platforms? Um, I mean, I think it... I don't know if it's a new norm, at least in relation to Netflix specifically, because they've had Roma is, what, two years old now? And I think they had another, you know, Oscar Beatty type film before that. Um, Now that I say that, I don't think they did. But either way, I think for Netflix, this has been their new norm. I think it'll be interesting to see smaller, more artsy films like this hopefully in my mind make a comeback with streaming because that gives you so many places so many opportunities to make a movie for half a million dollars sell it for three quarter million dollars you made a profit that's acceptable and you know you have these often not great but still overlooked indie pictures or smaller artsy films getting made and so i think something like mank may be more of a test case for that specifically moving forward rather than like big releases because we know big releases work on streaming it happened all summer it happened with mulan as dog shit as that adaptation was yeah so speaking of mulan and that genre of movie. There's another movie I do want to talk about. It's called Raya, The Last Dragon. It's coming out on Disney. Um, and it is about a land called Kumandra split into five different re- regions where a warrior named Raya searches for the last dragon in the world. This is going to be an animated movie. It looks like it'll kind of be the next princess-esque movie Disney's releasing. Um, this is supposed to be released in theaters around next March, but I think it has a pretty decent chance of either being some kind of hybrid release where in places where COVID has kind of died down, there it comes out, but in other places it does the same kind of Disney Plus premium stuff that Mm -hmm. um, they did with Mulan. 
I'm excited for this one. I and that's kind of the first time I've said that since probably Frozen with mm-hmm. this genre of movie. It looked like Disney finally got over the hump of taking itself seriously in these characters that they own stories. Um, it was nearly like secret agent-y as um, Rhea was going through some of the missions she had to go through in the trailer, and it kind of had a very lighthearted tone while still dealing with serious, oh, our village is in danger, um, those kind of existential questions. So I'm excited to see what they do with this one. It didn't look like something that was going to have songs or music in it. Um, yeah. What stuck out to you? I mean, I think um, virtually, you know, 100% in step with you. I'm really interested to see how this does release-wise because I think, you know, let's be honest. It's Raya the Last Dragon. It's definitely going to be exploring um, whether it's like a fictional spin on Asian cultures in the way that we've seen some um, like Frozen or Brave handle that, or whether it's a more faithful adaptation of some of those cultures. It's going to explore, explore more Asian and more Eastern, um, I don't even know if concepts is the right word, but just things to do with that culture and that world more. And so to me, the focus for this theatrical release definitely is going to be China. It's going to be the Asian markets, uh, you know, I say China especially because this week they passed the or the Chinese box office passed the U.S. box office as the most lucrative box office in the world. It may have been like the North American, not just the U.S. specifically, but either way, um, that's where this movie has the most potential to really blow the doors off and um, kind of set the stage for a repositioning of. You know, the box office and movie, big blockbuster movies have been shifting more towards the Asian markets, kind of half-heartedly by including, like, you know, Transformers has one sing in Hong Kong this year, so y'all better come watch it. It's like shit like that. I'll be really interested to see the effect this has on the international movie-going, like, slate of options in comparison to, like, the major releases in China. But all that aside, my thoughts on the movie are pretty much exactly what you said. Uh, I was really hoping as it started that we were going to be getting the rapping Disney princess that I've been dreaming of for like eight years. But <laughs> that seems to be soon not the case. <laughs> yeah, but I think no, that I'm really, should go directly to the top of the list, though. That's all I'm saying is like I saw. I think unfortunately, I think it was a Tumblr post from like ten years ago, and it's like imagine this Disney movie. It's the same classic Disney story. They're singing, they're dancing, but the main character can't sing worth shit. About halfway through the movie, (laughs) though, she realizes it's because she can rap like a motherfucker. And then she's like redefines the Disney songs from there. But anyway, all that aside, um, no, I'm really excited. And my long rambly answer about the box offices and the types of release we're looking at with this feed directly into my biggest question for you about this one luke and that's if raya becomes a hybrid release success story if let's say in north america it gets dropped on disney plus for that premium access that we saw with mulan and then makes bank overseas in international markets 
that's kind of what I mean by hybrid release. Do you think that'll set the precedent for future Disney blockbusters? And do you think that this has any sort of sway towards Marvel movies at all? I I think it would set the precedent for Disney blockbusters of being at least some form of both at home release and in movie theater release. Um, Disney announced last week, too, they wanted to make their main focus on streaming, whether that's pushing out Disney Channel content on streaming platforms, whether it's movies like this, um, whatever it is, their main focus as an entire company, take the parks, take ESPN, all that is going to be on streaming content. So whether that's the right decision or not, I think if this does become a hybrid release, it's going to make them put all the infrastructure up to have that option for both releases. I think it's also going to be interesting to think about that people probably aren't going to go back to movie theaters um, quickly, especially mm-hmm. especially with no end to this pandemic in sight. Um, so I do think that some sort of hybrid release will be the new norm by the time that Raya comes out next March, March 12th, 2021. Um, no, I agree. I think it'll definitely at the very least set that precedent for how Disney wants to move forward, whether, um, you know, just whether the pandemic looks like it could be on the downturn or if it ramps back up here over the next few months, I think that'll define it a lot as well. But I, I agree. I think Raya could for better or for worse be the test case for disney moving forward um but let's go ahead and move on and talk about our last one here so i want to also talk about free guy the new ryan reynolds movie coming out um for y'all that don't know it is about a bank teller named guy who realizes he's a background character in an open world video game called free city that is on the verge of going offline so really the biggest draw for this one is just ryan reynolds being ryan reynolds but this time he's doing it as a video game npc which you know it's definitely relevant video games are probably at the highest popularity level they've been um ever honestly you know most people that i know are actively playing a game have played a game in the past you know plan on playing one here coming out soon um and so i think for the relevancy of it I think that'll definitely hit the mark. The reason why I wanted to talk about this specifically, though, is because it covers the final base of what we've been talking about here release-wise in that, you know, this isn't barring some big reveal, which we'll talk about here in a minute, but this isn't some big Marvel tentpole release this isn't um, as far as we can tell connected to any other universe and there's no huge desire people aren't everyone at least isn't tweeting out every day oh my god i can't wait to see free guy i need this come out now i i know that this has been pushed back it was originally slated for um june or july of this year it got pushed to the fall then again to to December and I expect it to just continuously get pushed until they feel like they can release it in theaters and make their money back. You know, unfortunately yeah. that's the case. I want to see it, but um, the reason I want to talk about that is because there really is no reason to release this now or release this in December, even in February specifically to theaters. If the pandemic is still raging, the first trailer dropped 10 months ago. 
they yeah. are they're in no rush to re- release this. And I, the, the longer it takes for them to release this, the more worried I get about the actual quality of this. Um, watching the trailer again today made me realize that this is really set up to be kind of a feel-good, oh, even if you don't have any control over your life, you can make a difference in your world movie. So I think it would be heartwarming to do around Christmas, but... I they, they this is an evergreen movie. Doesn't really matter when they release it, and I do think they are going to wait to release it. Um, um, no, I agree. Now, let's say that what we're saying right now is bullshit because this is secretly a Marvel tie-in. Would you change uh, how, your how how would this tie into Marvel though? Well, I guess Ryan well, Reynolds, but yeah. So we all know our favorite Ryan Reynolds is in this film and he has also played to perfection another um much more famous character known as deadpool and correct me if i'm wrong luke but free guy is technically a 20th century fox film but that is now owned by and being distributed by disney yeah i believe you're right Boom. So here we go. Ready? Disney also owns Marvel. They need a way to get Ryan Reynolds into their movie or into uh, the Marvel Universe. And I'm not going to claim this theory whatsoever. I am going to give full credit to my boys over at the new Rockstars. But it's important to bring up here because I really like it. So basically... This entire movie plays out. Ryan Reynolds is this NPC in a video game that's going offline. The trailer seems to have... I don't think it'll be much of a mystery about if he's real, if he's a person, you know, what's going on. But the trailer seems to play into this idea that the film will revolve around, in part, who is Ryan Reynolds' character, like, who is behind his actions, at least in the outside world. People are trying to figure that out. What if, at the end of the game, we pull back from a screen and it's just... Clickety, clickety, clack, clack, clack behind like a shadowed figure we can't really see, but it's still Ryan Reynolds' voice talking over it. And he's talking about, yeah, the game had to be shut down, but the people were fucking inspired, some some shit. And then as we pull back, we see like some screen that looks like hacking, coding bullshit. We see like the 3D model pop up or like on a bulletin board or something for Ryan Reynolds' character. And then as the this figure leans back, puts his hands behind his head to celebrate his successful hacking of this game. The light from the computer splashes over him, and we realize it's Deadpool. And this has secretly been a Marvel tie-in that is... Well, that was never planned to be a Marvel tie-in, but then all this COVID shit happened, and they needed to get Deadpool into the Marvel Universe, so they shot a two-minute bumper of him saying that he was hacking the game because it was his favorite game and it was bullshit that they were taking it offline and sews that up real quick and then like fucking Tony Stark or someone from the MCU walks into the room that he's in and it's like hey what the fuck are you doing here get out and then that's all the confirmation we need Deadpool is in the MCU and that's the only situation where they would need to release this movie sooner than yesterday that is true, and uh, that is really fun to think about that something like this could catch us all so unaware and then suddenly put Deadpool in 
the Disney universe. Um, but what we need right now. If that is what is happening with this movie, that's kind of indicative of the fact that there's not really been any meaningful evolution to Ryan Reynolds and his sarcastic but happy-go-lucky shtick in the past couple of years. He's kind of been writing that since Deadpool. So if that is what they're doing here and it is just another example of the Ryan Reynolds shtick, do you think this is the point where that the returns on that start to diminish for Ryan? Does he need to adapt? Do you think he can stay in that role? Uh, well, I think it's kind of a multifaceted answer. You know, the first part being... I don't think this is that'll be the point of diminishing returns for him because at a certain point you're gonna have your diehards who are gonna ride with him till the end, um, so he'll at least have. Which he's earned from that. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. Don't get me wrong, he has. Um, I don't want to make it seem like he hasn't, but that's the reason why I would think that you know even if he, I guess he does see diminishing returns, he wouldn't fall off the map. Now, overall, I think. Yes, it will be the diminishing the point of diminishing returns if after Free Guy there's no further evolution, no like deeper depth. Like he can continue to make these types of movies a la Adam Sandler, but then drop in an uncut gems, drop in a cobbler, drop in a you know, any other I'm trying to, he has another good movie that I can't think of, but you drop in good performances here and there and you kind of add some variety to your career. I think that he can get away with whatever. I think Adam Sandler is also a testament to the fact that even if he keeps going with this shtick, like he can keep being as successful as he wants to be, basically. Um, all that being said, I think the one place where it doesn't matter one way or another is in any Deadpool appearance. I think he can do that for a hundred movies, and it wouldn't get old as long as he's dressed up as Deadpool. So that'll really be the defining thing to me is how much does he appear as Deadpool and how much does he lean on that shtick outside of the costume moving forward because that is the Deadpool thing so it works in Deadpool but I I am starting to get a little tired of this Deadpool thing in his other movies in his advertisements in his social media preference presence for better or for worse I, I respect it and like you said he's definitely earned the right to be that way and have the fan base to support him regardless but um yeah yeah i think it's i think deadpool really defines how his persona is perceived moving forward yeah well i gotta fly south all right wings up boys <laughs>